afternoon. The panel are Indeed National Wallace Chapman here, Jeremy Alwood and Heather Roy with me. Now, uh, State Highway 3, Awakeno, uh, Taranaki, there has been a crash just north of the tunnel. Do take extra care when travelling uh, along this route uh, prepared and prepare for delays. So that's down to uh, one lane, I understand. Um, a bit of response regarding Jeremy's uh, piece. Uh, I do agree with you guests. There is no portrayal of a vision for our future. Uh, it's about who has the best grab bag on offer is Des' point of view. Um, it seems to be ideological. So, yeah, uh, what do you think of the election? Um, keep those tits coming. We might come back to that next week. But to this, is there a spring surge in the housing market? Music to the ears of homeowners, less so for those wanting to enter the housing market. Latest data by analyst CoreLogic gives the best indication that a rebound is now underway. Trade Me data out today says property prices have increased for the first time in 10 months. Who says that August was a turning point? The national average asking price climbed 0.4% to 837,000. Auckland's median price sits at 1.01 million. It was $943,000 in January. With us, Gavin Lloyd, Trade Me Property Sales Director. Kia ora, Gavin. Kia ora, how are you going? Good. So, what are we seeing? Is this what one might call a spring surge in house sales? Look, I think what is really interesting when you look at the, the numbers, it's the first time we've seen a month-on-month increase since um, October last year, so that's very significant for us um, when, when looking at the setup that we've had. And, and obviously, moving into the spring side of things, um, you know, there is a bit of seasonality in it, but we're kind of just starting to get a sense out there that the market is, is, is turning a little bit. Okay, so can we put a stake in the ground, Gavin, to say that we have seen the bottom? I think I'm pretty confident to say, um, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly starting to, to, to look up. And, and, hey, look, there are some exceptions out there, you know, regionally. Um, some are doing better than others. But I think we're, we're pretty confident in saying that um, we're, we're reaching that, that we've, we've reached that, um, that, that bottom of the market, yes. Heather? Gosh, well, lots of things here. Um, Tony mm. Alexander, I see, was predicting that we'll see a 5% increase this year, 10% next year, and maybe up to 15% over 2025. Do you think that's that's realistic, Gavin, or is that overly optimistic for homeowners? Look, no, look, I, I think that's that's probably a, a realistic number. Some of the numbers I've seen in, wow. in the last couple of days have been significantly higher than that. So mm. I think... You know, um, a five percent increase is, is probably something that's that, that's not too far away. But I think the thing we need to understand here is that we've had such a critical shortage of supply. There is a lot of people out there that want to buy property, and um, you know, the supply side of things is, mm. is not changing. That it's not changing, but that demand is really, really starting to get some traction there. And I think that's what is going to have an impact on this setup moving forward. What about you, Jeremy? Um, I will ask, uh, is this a good thing? I mean, it, obviously it works differently depending on which side of the market yeah. you're on, but are rising house prices actually a good thing for the country? Look, I think it, it's, it, it's a really, really hard thing to, to answer. I think there's, there's still challenges for, for certain people to get into the market. I think what we've seen in the last little while, prices coming back, um, is, is given a little bit more accessibility to a wider um, percentage of the population, which is good. Um, you know, but I still think there's, there's obviously challenges out there that, 
people getting finances. It's really hard for a first-time buyer um, to, to get into the market. So we've still got a lot of challenges out there that yeah, prices have come back, but, gee, it's still quite hard to get your, your foot in the door there. So if we do see an upward lift in that, then it's still going to make it even harder for a lot of people to get into the property market. Yeah, because the new figures will be welcome news for people who have a home now, but those wanting to enter the market, you know, those mm-hmm. rising prices may add just that additional hurdle as... Uh, you know, buyers already grapple with these um, soaring interest rates, Gavin. That's that's right. Look, and I, and I think that what we have seen there is a little bit more certainty in terms of those interest rates. You know, I, I think, um, look, some banks are still moving up, but the OCR, you know, pretty looking there like that, that might not move. So we have seen a bit more certainty, and I think that's kind of given people a bit more confidence to come into the market. Um, and I think that will continue as we go through um, the, the spring side of things. Um, election will probably get everyone to sit on their hands for, for, okay. for a month here in, in October. Um, but we, we're expecting to see a strong um, strong end to the year where people come back and want to understand the, the result of the election. Anecdotally, Heather, what are you seeing? I mean, do you walk down the street and you see a few signs, yeah. uh, a few house signs up? You talk to colleagues or friends, you know, they're starting to look at houses. Or What are you, what are you getting a sense of yeah, there in no. London? I yeah I do see a lot more signs up than I have have for a wee while but I guess I just put that down to the spring surge thing I think that a lot of people won't sell their house in the winter because it doesn't look at its best and so I guess I'd put oh. it down to that but I think migration is having a significant impact too I mean we had a net migration gain of just about 100,000 people in the year yes. of July and so those people have to live somewhere It's true isn't it Gavin mm. that's a very very good point yeah, and we've seen a lot of that um, significantly in the in the last six months. Um, a lot of that is coming into the Auckland market. I think you know we're seeing yeah. a lot more uh, demand in the the central um, uh, city, and that's flowing onto the rental side of things. We're seeing a big increase in demand on properties, uh, rentals, where a lot of that um, you know people moving to the country will move into a rental first, and we've seen a significant increase in demand in Auckland, where most of these people um, arrive in the first instance. And you yourself, you're a homeowner, Jeremy? Yeah, I am. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Auckland market because, I mean, let's let's face it, we didn't have a great summer. It wasn't a great selling season for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> um, so there might be people who, you know, have maybe, you know, gone through the yeah. rains and the cyclone and everything we had and, and are looking to find a place. I'm actually in a position where I'm not looking to find a place for exactly those reasons. My house stood up really well to the floods and the bad weather. And now I'm going, oh, maybe I'll sit on it for a bit longer because it's safe but um, yeah the Auckland market will be an interesting I think it will be an interesting summer. Speaking of that in terms of the regions then uh, uh, Gavin uh, a bit of a mixed bag around the Motu? Yes that, that, that's right you know look we're, we're seeing um, you know increases month on month in, in Canterbury the Hawke's Bay um, and Marlborough whereas when you actually look at Auckland and Wellington um, they were um, still a little bit down on, mm. on July so very much a mixed bag out there. Mm. Your money still goes a long way further in the regions, though, doesn't it? And I wonder if we're going to see more movement out of Auckland and Wellington uh, into some of the, the smaller places where you can get a nice house for a lot less than you'd have to pay in the in the big smoke. And with more people working from home. I mean, yeah. I, I have noticed that. That's I was right. in Timaru a couple of weeks ago, and Timaru feels like a, it's a booming city at the moment. It's a right? booming town. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people did relocate there because they can work more remotely than... You know, than they did four years ago. Just in terms of your, because there are other analyses out there too, Gavin. You know, Core Logic, such like Real Estate uh, Institute. Uh, how do you measure? Is it by how many days a property spends on site? 
That's right. Yeah. So how how long a property is, is listed up on on site, and um, we, you know we've got around about twenty years worth of data that we, we pull on that, and we can have a look at you know what has happened over that, and and I think one of the things we've been looking at is what defines a normal market, um, and what defines a market that's cool, and and the market that we're in at the moment is definitely cool, um, and and we're heading closer towards a bit more of a normal market. But that's how we define it: how long a listing is up on site. Oh, I see. So a cold market is if it spends seventy five to eighty nine days on site, and a hot market is around 28 to 39 there, Gavin. That, that's correct, and that was what the setup we saw um, back in 2021. Um, Post-COVID uh, um, was, you know, very much a hot market. Things were flying off the, off the shelf, and, um, and what we've seen through the um, this year has been a, a very much a cool market, that 75 to 80 days up on site. Very good. Thank you for that, Daz. Gavin Loy there, Trade Me Property Sales Director. Bit of a sponsor on this. Uh, let's be honest, rising house prices only suits the elite. We need lots more affordable homes. Can we stop celebrating house prices rising? Spare a thought for people who can never get into the marketplace. Also, how much rent may increase? Um, the real estate culture in this country is toxic, is uh, this person's view. Um, thanks for your <laughs> feedback. Um, now, also, too, don't forget that uh, feedback, or a bit of feedback coming through regarding what you see as shrinkflation. A really interesting story France, they have decided a massive supermarket, one of the biggest in the world, they are putting up these signs in front of products that they believe uh, shows an example of shrinkflation. Should we do the same here? Um, the raw cat food I buy has gone from 450 grams to 400 grams. The price went up first from $5.50 to $7. Then the size went down and the price stayed the same. So examples of that, send them through, 2101. But to this, opposition to the, the controversial proposal to build an international airport in central Otago is not easing up by any means. This is the proposed airport at Terrace. Tiny Terrace is about 16 kilometres southeast of Wanaka Airport in the beautiful central Otago. Now this proposed runway, it will be long, up to 2,600 metres long and capable of accommodating, accommodating big flights to and from Australia, the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. Christchurch Airport's documents said without this new airport, Passengers destined for the area could be travelling an extra half a million kilometres by road every day by 2050. Locals, they don't buy it. A Wanaka Stakeholders Group survey of more than 600 residents and businesses found that nearly 83% were against this idea. Wanaka Stakeholders Group Chair Meg Taylor joins us. Hello, Meg. Hi. Hi, Wallace. I thought you'd be rejoicing this news. It would open up the whole region for you. Uh, well, our background as a stakeholders group actually is uh, that we were, we were formed to um, express community opposition to plans originally to develop our local Wanaka airport for jet airport travel. And that was only about four years ago that we won that, that um, battle. So... Um, really, and that was again, that was two airport corporations coming in wanting to develop Wanaka for, for jet travel. And now we have yet another airport uh, corporation coming into the Southern Lake Central Otago district um, with a very, with actually a, a larger scale proposal for tariffs. So Wanaka residents are quite used to these 
sort of proposals <laughs> rearing their ugly heads. Really ugly heads. Well, the text here, one text, mind you, an airport at Taras would be great. Bring it on. What's wrong with the idea? Well, just to go back quickly to the survey, I think um, we ha- we did ask, um, did we need a Taras airport to service growth? 78% disagreed. Um the, the number who, who wanted it to have 5.8% were thoroughly supportive, 7.9% thorough, uh, somewhat supportive. So I don't think that that text is representative. Um, Wanaka and the Upper Clues is growing like topsy at the moment without international airport on our doorstep. You're talking about real estate uh, prices and real estate prices never went down in the Queenstown lakes uh, over the last year. Uh, we've got um, a, a building boom, we've got a residential boom, and we've got and tourism has bounced, bounced back at a rapid rate. Um, but our council is struggling as to how to pay for the demands of this booming local population. And our recent rates increase is one of the highest in the country. So just on that basis, it's an, an airport will represent, yes, it represents growth, but it also represents uh, considerable costs to the local community. Okay, well, stay there, Meg. Let's, we've got a panel with us. What do you think, Jeremy? I mean, you've been serving a couple of locals. Yeah, well, I, <clears throat> I have a quite. I mean, I know that part of the country very well, and um, yeah. you know, one one of the things that Wanaka residents that I know are very proud of is the fact that they're not Queenstown. So, uh, you know, how much of this is a resistance to that? To you, you, you've got your little slice of paradise, and you can see. I mean, you can only you can drive an hour and a half and sort of see what happens when it gets a bit bigger. How much of it is a, you know little bit of that not in my backyard mentality well that little slice of paradise actually is is what brings in um you know considerable numbers of foreign tourists and we're very aware that we you know we've got a very precious commodity in this district and that we need to protect it Mm -hmm. and that that you know it's a stunningly beautiful relatively undeveloped and unpolluted area uh, and we have a lot of local character, and and we don't want to destroy uh, exactly you know what tourists come to see. We think we think something like the, the mass tourism that and you know an Asia and Australia connected airport will will bring in will um, will in fact be it'll be both bad for local residents, but it'll also be uh, degrade the the visitor experience. All right, here's another one: an airport at Tara would ruin Terrace, would ruin. Yet another beautiful, relatively untouched area. That's reason enough to stop it. Heather Roy. Well, it would change Terrace. I think it's open to debate. I can see strong arguments actually on both sides of this, and I don't know what the right answer is. Aren't you from this area but, too, Heather? Uh, I'm from. I grew up in Palmerston, Otago, so I spent a lot of time in Central Otago too. Yeah, and I do love the area. But you know, as a country, we we love the money that tourism brings in, but we don't particularly like the tourists. And I I do. I do often go back and think about a speech in 2011 that Sir Paul Callaghan gave. It was about tourism and and how he felt that we were wrong to be putting sort of all our eggs in the tourism basket, if you like. And he said at the time that it produces low-value jobs, but low-value, high-volume jobs. And he's absolutely right. What we... As a country, I think if we're thinking about economic growth, should be striving for are the high value jobs, and there's all sorts of ways that we can do that. Um, and so, tourism isn't the be all and end all. And I do have some sympathy for um, trying to, uh, you know, find better ways to get economic growth. 
that uh, don't impact on um, on our environment and our communities in quite the same way that they do at the moment. Meg? Yes, I think, I think we're, you know, we're not against tourism, but we do want to manage the tourism load on the district. Mm. Um, and that's for a whole variety of reasons, for environmental reasons, for infrastructure reasons, and, and for tourism itself to, to, as I say, protect the quality of the tourism. Or the... And, yeah, you know, there's already there's already four jet capable airports in the South Island. That's quite a lot, you know. And of those, three of them are active uh, international. Not airports. like this. This will be an international mm-hmm. airport by uh, all accounts. You know, with with big planes coming in, Jeremy. Yeah, one, one question, and, and I totally understand if you don't know the answer to this, but. Um any idea what the feeling is in, in places other than that would also be affected by it's places like Cromwell, for example, or Alexandra, you know, other towns which maybe do not have the the instant tourist appeal of Queenstown and Wanaka? I mean, how, how do people there yeah. feel about them? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, okay. I don't think there has been a survey yet of, of Cromwell residents done. Yes. So that would be interesting to know. It would be also interesting, I mean, there's, there's, you know, of course it's a, a well-known Pinot Noir growing area and there are vineyards all the way up and down Lake Dunstan. And it would be interesting to know what they would think as well. Yeah, um, it would be. It would be. Proposal. Yeah, I spoke to somebody today who who is based in Cromwell, and um, what do they think? Well, I was interested that it is a divided view there as well. I mean, the person I spoke to individually is is right for the airport, um, but you know, with the caveat that you know he rents his house out at times, and it would affect him. Whereas there does seem to be a resistance to it in the town itself, which perhaps surprised me because, like you say, you know, mm. for a lot of people, somewhere like Cromwell is the place you stop at the big fruit for a photograph before you drive to Walker. <laughs> Jeremy, you too, huh? Yeah, always. But there is, I mean, yeah. for various reasons. So, no, I was just wondering if there was anything more formal than my my quick fireside yeah. chat this afternoon. Well, needless to say, this is not uh, going to be over by any stretch. It's quite an ongoing issue. This, but for now, Meg Cure, I really appreciate your time. Yes, thanks very much for that, Wallace. That's Meg Taylor there, Wanaka Stakeholders Group Chair. But, uh, yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful part of the country, and all three of us have spent time in Central Otago, no doubt. And uh, it's just a real uh, tonga there. It is 26 past four. The panel are in Z National. We have Heather Roy and Jeremy Alwood with us. Now, so we discussed how you proposed or were proposed to this week, and we got some just beautiful responses still coming through, and I decided to share my proposal story that I bought a vintage ring and I was going on a first overseas trip, this to Tokyo, with my partner. And I had the ring in an old brown paper bag. It was a Unikem bag on top of my flight bag. <laughs> then she wants a pen from my bag to fill out the arrival form. And I say, well, there is no pen in my bag. And she insists, well, there is. And I said, no, there's not. And she says, yes, there is. And I go, oh, my goodness me, will the ring be found and ruin my engagement surprise. Ten minutes of silence on the plane. And I thought, well, I've got to get the other side of the story, don't you? So my guest today is probably the first time it's ever happened on RNZ is my wife, Tabitha. Hello, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, darling. How are you? This is this is fantastic radio. No, no, please don't ask me to ask a question. I'm not interrupting this. No, you're on your own here, Wallace. Well, no, please do. Oh, how the Heather, uh, Jeremy, you're quite welcome. Um, how's your day going, babe? Going great, thank you. Well, it's going to be on the radio. Let's cut to the chase, uh, Tabitha. Tell us what happened, Tabitha. How do Tabitha? you remember it? Okay, yeah. so I had to get your side of the story, uh, Tabitha. Well, you know, you're on your first 
international trip with your significant other. You've just seen them using a pen. You think, oh, I need to fill out my arrival form. Can I please borrow that pen? And wow, you know, not what I was expecting. I thought, wow, this trip's going to take a turn. We're only a few hours in and already he's stroppy. Did you, so, did you, um, did yeah. you find the ring? I did not find the ring. I can confirm I did, not, I did not find the ring. And the proposal was a complete surprise. So that was really wonderful. Did it, did it stay in that Unicam bag and, until the moment of the proposal? Yes. Which, you know, I was expecting, you know, down on one knee, but I'll take a Unicam bag any day. Particularly seeing as he nearly blew it by not landing you a pan. You know. Well, because it wasn't the issue to have, um, you had you had real concerns whether or not you could actually trust me in a relationship. I think that, that came out later. <laughs> well, yes, I always thought we had quite good communication and it was the first time I'd really kind of seen you get a little bit terse, you know, and kind of, you know, say, hey, no, I don't like that. And so I kind of thought, oh, this is a little bit of a side I've not seen of Wallace before. I wonder if he's going to be like this on every trip. I wonder if this is how he is, you know, under stress and secret. I don't know. It was all coming out, you know, when you go on a trip with someone, isn't it? You yeah, kind of think, ooh. <laughs> Uh, that would have been a fantastic moment at the ceremony yes. where, where they ask, does anyone have just cause for these two not to be married? It's just someone, everyone <laughs> yeah. stands up with a pen, just yeah. holds it up and goes, this is why. All right. So anyway, we didn't, you didn't find the ring tab and uh, it stayed in the bag until uh, it came out uh, at a nice, uh, nice uh, restaurant uh, later on in Tokyo, huh? Yeah, for sure. Very good. Hey, Thank you for being part of the panel, <laughs> darling, and um, say hi to little Wallace, and uh, don't forget to feed Banjo. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> the romance rolls on. All right, darling, see you later. Love you, bye. All right. Uh, <laughs> 29 bucks. That's the most awkward end to an interview I've ever seen you do, Wallace, and I've been watching you do this for a long time. Well done. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Um, but uh, some wonderful problems came, came through. Um, now, my husband asked me to marry him five days after we got together, uh, I rather unromantically replied, "Ask me again when you've given up smoking, and get yourself educated." Um, he stopped smoking that day and enrolled in university the next. We're still married, twenty-nine years later. Uh, another one here, Joanne says, "Good afternoon. I proposed to my husband while we were doing the dishes. He said yes. Six weeks later, we were married. Six months later, he died. That was thirty years ago last week." Love the show. Uh, Joanne, wonderful stuff. Thanks for listening. You're on the panel, RNZ National. It is time for headlines.